0: Let's go.
1: With all this bread, I need a bigger stomach. Yeah. My name ring bells, so you can hear me coming. Yeah. Made it all on my own. They ain't give me nothing. Yeah. And I'm still standing like a set of crutches. Yeah. Ain't no way they gon' forget my name. Uh-uh. I'm a legend, putting in work. Ever since I came, You see
2: your umbrella. No, it can't stop my rain. You in the carpool? I'm in a different lane. I just wake up every morning, every morning, and go
1: get the change, do my own dirty work, work, and I won't get a stain. I'm too heavy in this game. And you better know it hustle speaks for itself. I ain't even gotta show it.
2: Told, to dust to gold. but you centuries. Welcome to the boys' night, everybody. And I say the boys' night because Jeanette is currently prepping for vacation, so Connor and I are left alone with michelob Ultras and Sierra Nevadas and each other's time. So this cheers. should be really interesting. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> it's like we do the toast or something. Shout out, Doug.
3: Uh, that's right. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I know. We I think we'll need a few more before this would get really interesting. Maybe mix in a couple oh. of fashions as well.
2: Yeah, well, I mean we did that in St. Louis once already, so Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, we won't even go into the stories <laughs> that accompany that.
3: I got I gotta tell you though, for for all of us west coasters who are just surrounded by some of the best Mexican food on the planet, if not the best Mexican food on the planet, you know, next to Mexico, the best Mexican food. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Going away to where you're, you're away from the source. It's hard. I start, we, we were only there for a few days and I was starting to go through withdrawals.
2: I remember we, okay. So same thing to go with that story. We're sitting at the bar uh, in St. Louis. It was in the the like grand central station. It was Mm -hmm. an ad conference and I asked the dude, I was like, hey, can I get a michelada? Mm-hmm. And the guy looked at me and was like, what's that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like, I don't belong here. <laughs> I know. I don't belong here. Dude, this guy doesn't know what a michelada <laughs> is. He didn't even give me a salted Corona, dude.
3: <laughs> well, no, that that was the sad part was, you know, we, we started going through the list of the different things. And then it, it boiled down to, well, do you have Corona and Lyme? And thankfully... That was a saving grace, was there was Corona and Lime. And I said, okay, well, do you have some Tapatio to go with it? No, he had Tabasco. Yeah. That's...
2: He said, what's tapatillo? And I was oh. like, oh,
3: my God.
2: This is bad. Oh,
3: I know. Oh. I was like, can you at least put a shrimp in the top or something? Like, come on, help me out.
2: No. Nope. Nothing good. Nothing good about that town other than an arch. Which... <laughs> is another sorry now we're just going on our, our old st louis trip why, my, uh, funny not? enough i missed my miss my flight and you know connor was sitting on the plane as i watched it pull away from the gate so i felt like we were in the notebook or something <laughs> and had to wait three hours to get there but back to the arch when you go up the st louis arch if you haven't done it already if you have done it you know my our pain connor and i crammed in and you know we're not little guys we're not huge i definitely am fatter but uh, we crammed in with two other dudes in this little teeny tiny cart where we were like making out with each other. It got cozy. And then you go, yeah, you got real cozy, and then you go up the arch, and basically there's no door. Like if if you lean to the left, you fall down the arch. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, the scaffolding inside the arch. Yeah, yeah. I'm not claustrophobic, yeah, but terrible. but that that actually it started to make me feel a little, a little claustrophobic riding that little pod to the top there.
2: Yeah, it wasn't cool. Yeah, it was not cool. Hey, but ma- hey, Modern
3: Marvel appreciated the appreciated it for what it was. So, yep, yeah. All right, well, should we? Uh, might might as well might as well keep keep with the the same format here. So I'll just uh, quickly yeah. give us a, a summary, and then we'll we'll keep rolling through here. So uh, today, you love your summaries. <laughs> I'm I'm actually super excited about uh today's episode because. I've actually been telling people who know that we do this, I've been telling people ahead of time about it. I'm actually that excited about it. But today we actually got to uh, sit down and talk with Carolyn O'Donnell of the California Strawberry Commission. And we had a really great discussion with her. So I hope you guys stick around and listen to that because we had a really good time talking to her
2: yeah no it was it was great and i'd like to just say thank you to carolyn again um if, if you do listen to this she stayed up to like 11 p.m chicago time oh yeah speaking. just to do this interview with us in the middle of the night <laughs> mm-hmm. that was awesome
3: yes speaking speaking of that part of the world actually that that was actually perfect who, who would have thought
2: yeah yeah we were just talking about st louis and then chicago wow we're just midwestern <laughs> <laughs> yeah
3: basically yeah, just up there oh. in the old Wisconsin. No, oh, the Northerners. <laughs>
2: Sorry if you're from oh, Wisconsin and listening to this. We're California people. We're we're not too kind.
3: That's okay. They're they're probably just going to be like, hell yeah, bro," mimicking us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Waves are choice. Well, it doesn't snow here.
0: <laughs>
3: oh.
2: oh, good lord! But, but, yeah. yeah, well. Connor, I know you had a couple of a uh, couple things you wanted to discuss before we delve into the interview. So let's talk through them. What sure you got? Thing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of the articles that caught my eye this week were uh, the first one. It was titled California Agriculture Leads the Nation in Funding for Specialty Crops, which if you're listening at, you know, speaking of people not from California, for if, if you're not from California, um, this doesn't apply. To this you. really doesn't <laughs> apply to you. <laughs> this isn't corn <laughs> or soybeans um (laughs) but uh so you know talking about some additional money that's coming in um but unfortunately uh this is this funding is mainly focused more towards uh funding programs that are Mm -hmm. either government or education related so um it was a sum of 23.8 million uh that was set aside, and California actually received right around uh, seventy-two point four million, and that was given to the U.S. Department of Agriculture for the Steve. special, yeah, for the specialty crop block grant program. And so, uh, of that, CDFA will then fund fifty-eight projects um, for projects ranging from fifty thousand to four hundred and fifty thousand. And like I said, you know, uh, non-profit and for-profit organizations, but government entities, colleges, and universities. So uh, something to just keep an eye on. I know some of those programs uh, might be near and dear to uh, folks such as uh, Carolyn and the Strawberry Commission. And then the second article that caught my eye.
2: Did you just say Karen? Sorry.
3: No, I said Carolyn.
2: Okay, just just sorry, it came through weird on my end. I was just making sure I you, screwed her name up when we interviewed her, and I, know, I didn't apologize. You, for you it. So guys, I'm making you just sure
3: me to... second guess myself after my full paw <laughs> episode one. I've been second yeah, guessing Corey myself. Board. Yeah. Speaking of which, actually, I'm going to mention him in this next article. Um, so, second article there that caught go. my eye uh, was because, obviously, this time of year, everybody's thinking about post harvest irrigation. So second article is titled, After a Hard-Working Harvest, Trees Need Water to Remain Healthy. So um, this is actually uh, mainly focused around the Almond Board of California. So they were talking about the benefits of um, post-irrigation harvest, and I know people f- throw that statement around a lot, but I thought it'd be good to just kind of hit on a few points of why that's beneficial. So uh, they actually had um, a PhD that they interviewed for this article, uh, a Dr. Saw S-A-A, in case you're interested. And they were talking that um, especially because this year we had that record breaking crop, right? That irrigating now to um, basically prep your trees for next season is gonna be important because um, the trees put on um, such high tonnage this year that it's even more important to try to get to um invest in next year's crop by putting on some irrigation now so they're talking about you mm-hmm. know late september early october so we're kind of past that time frame here but i would assume that if you're still trying to because um, i know people i've been talking to a number of people that are still uh, picking up nuts and then uh, also getting uh, orchard floor floors cleaned up just getting that water on because the buds, the, the uh, structures for the buds are already in place, so putting on some water now, basically banking it in the tree instead of in the soil, you're banking it in the tree for next season is important. And so uh, if any of our listeners uh, would like some more information, Almond Board actually has uh, a program that they put together called the Almond Irrigation Improvement Continuum. So if uh, you're, you're needing some help, Um, With some of these post-harvest calculations and post-harvest review, they're looking at things like measuring irrigation system performance, efficiency, estimating orchard water requirements based on things like evapotranspiration, determining applied water, soil moisture, so on and so forth, in a very rote method. And so I talked about Cory Board because... (laughs) cory board ah damn it see you guys got me second guessing (laughs) myself cory we're gonna see if you actually listen to us or not because (laughs) we're not gonna tell you we just did that no (laughs) cory broad oh man he's he's gonna slap me upside the head next time he sees me um if he can reach what oh damn oh
2: Oh. hey it's okay he's a hockey player he'll kick my ass
3: (laughs) anyways cory put out a video on linkedin actually just recently um he was actually talking about uh, distribution uniformity. And so, you know, this orchard made me think about, you know, what he was talking about, talking some of the small investments that you can make during the season and after the season can really go a long way in the long term. Instead of letting things build up, making these small investments in our crop can really help us to, to reach those goals that we set for ourselves. So anyways, those were the two articles that caught my eye this week. Uh, Hope you enjoyed them. Hope you you know find something interesting out of them. If not, we'll just go ahead and roll right into the interview.
2: Yep. And if you don't find it interesting now, uh, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we try our best. No, but yeah. So that that's kind of wrapped up. Connor's way more studious. I didn't have any articles put together. I mean, I heard Jeanette wasn't gonna be here, and you know, I just kind of was like, meh. We'll just figure this out. <laughs> You're not representing boys night. Yeah. Very well. Yeah. Excuse well, me. Well, it's it's the boys. It's yeah. the boys. Yeah. But the chat with Carolyn, I mean, I loved it. It was great. She stayed up late just to talk to us. We talked strawberries, we talked future of labor, Sigma implications. Um, I mean, the the list is kind of endless, but it does happen in because we only did it for an hour, so we hope you enjoyed the conversation with Carolyn. Uh, sorry that the sound quality is going to be a little choppy. We're doing this on a budget, and we also had to do it in a way that we could get her recorded. So we kind of recorded it all through a cell phone, a microphone, and Skype. And, you know, we kind of jerry rigged it. We're making it work and we're making content happen. So that's the important part. But enjoy it, and we'll talk to you after the interview.
3: Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight. Uh, We are joined by Carolyn O'Donnell, and she is from the California Strawberry Commission. So, Carolyn, thank you so much for joining us tonight.
4: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm delighted to be a guest on your podcast. (laughs)
3: Yeah, we're, we're very eager to, to talk to you in depth and hear more about what you have to say. Um, do you mind just giving a, a brief introduction to uh, the audience for us, a little bit of background on yourself and, and maybe about the, the commission as a whole?
4: Sure. So my background actually is in wildlife biology and natural resources um, by education, um, but my bachelor's degree is from Purdue University, so I was in the School of Agriculture and have worked in a lot of different fields but this is my first agriculture job now many many years after college and um, what it does though what makes it fascinating is that there's a very complex science that goes around agriculture and growing food and a lot of people and the general public don't necessarily understand that so part of my job as communications director at the strawberry commission is to help um People understand some of the complexities about farming and some of the challenges that strawberry farmers face within California.
3: Yeah, definitely. So,
4: yeah, so the Commission does, we have a number of different um, kind of arms that work on different aspects of strawberry farming. Um, we are created by state legislation. Sometimes people don't realize that marketing boards are created by state legislation. But that legislation basically allows us to be a self-taxing body. So, although we are a, a technically a state agency, we don't get any tax funds. But what we do is we are able to self-tax ourselves among the strawberry growers, shippers, and processors in the state.
2: Mm, interesting. So
4: yeah. So so the kind of the two major pieces that the commission um, does in service of the. Um, California strawberry farmers, growers, and processors is production research, and there's a lot of research that we fund. Some of it we actually do in house as well to look at um, different aspects of farming strawberries. Mm-hmm. And the other part is mark as generic marketing. So it's going to be marketing that California strawberries brand, and what ways can we promote California strawberries as a whole that serves all the different labels that are out there that when you go to the market, you may see or your favorite farmer at your favorite farmer's market or something. We do things that will benefit all the farmers and all the strawberry growers. So we also do a lot of training and education, particularly for strawberry farmers and farm Mm -hmm. workers and farm supervisors. And then we also do some um, work around public policy as well and helping to um, provide information and, and education for policymakers.
3: Hmm. Oh, interesting. No, oh, that's that's yeah. super interesting. I, you know, I, I, I had known the name. The I, I had known about the Strawberry Commission that it it was an established organization and uh, was more heavily um, involved on the coast, obviously. Right. <laughs> um, but I had no idea that it was uh, that it had so much to do, and it had so many different branches and arms and and areas that it was influencing.
4: Yeah, sometimes it's if, you, you know, if you don't, if you hear about it from one perspective or if you're engaged in one particular aspect of farming, you may hear about the commission, but maybe not hear about what the other pieces are that are, are going on. And um, what's, what's great about um, this commission, though, is our board of directors is pretty big. There's, I think we have like 40 members and they represent all the various growing areas, which you mentioned are right on the coast. Mm-hmm. But they're mostly growers, and so the growers are able to come together, you because know, they're pretty fierce competitors out there, the different sure. brands and the different farming companies. But they're able to come together at the commission and be able to say, what are, what are we facing now? What are the problems we see we're going to be facing 10 years, 15 years from now? What can we do right now so that we can start moving towards solutions to those problems now, and so that we don't suddenly get caught up short when it really is impacting our production.
3: Mm-hmm. How are how are those problems different in just a five year spread in the future? So, how are the problems different ten, in um, ten years versus fifteen years?
4: Yeah, sometimes it will it will depend on how advanced the science is or is not. Um, sometimes it's because of the regulatory environment we're in. Mm -hmm. and you know anticipating what direction regulations are going um anticipating which way the science is going probably one of the the biggest um challenges there's a lot of challenges for farmers and strawberry farmers are no exception but probably one of the biggest challenges is that um there are soil-borne diseases that affect strawberries and that was what Resulted in the development of um, soil fumigation practices back in the fifties, sure. And you know that was something that really took, took care of that. Well, over time, between science and regulatory environment, those fum- some fumigants have been phased out entirely. Mm-hmm. Other ones we see increasing restrictions put on them. So, back about seven or eight years ago, this commission actually had started a farming without fumigants initiative in the research department and started to basically look all over the world where are farmers doing addressing soil-borne diseases how were they addressing them and we actually had a brought people in from japan and israel and other places in the world to kind of bend to all the scientists so that they could compare notes and say this is what we do this is what we find this is how it might work here um and that's really um, triggered a lot of research that's still going on, um, whether it's trying to grow in a soilless environment, whether it's taking a look at how you can change the soil chemistry to address it. There's a number of, of different avenues that have grown out of that farming without fumigants initiative.
3: Mm, yeah, interesting. I know that that's been one of the uh, the hot topic buttons, or uh, <laughs> hot topics this year, was, um, and last year too, was the, the fumigants that are allowed and, and which are being uh, more regulated for strawberry growth and you know cultural practices in the strawberry industry.
4: Right, and and what complicates it even further is that you know strawberry farmers kind of really have to plan way ahead. So, for example, right now they're doing their harvest is kind of winding down at this point, but they're still harvesting one piece of land, and in the meantime, a couple months ago they started the ground preparation on another piece of land. You know, starting with whatever they're doing to mitigate the disease in the soil and mm-hmm. then shaping the beds, and they'll be planting the plants within the next month or so. And um, so you've got two different pieces of ground going on at different stages. You know, one you're still doing harvesting from, and the other one you're getting ready for the next season. So when the strawberry farmers plant in November, usually mm-hmm. the plants are in by Thanksgiving, they won't be harvesting those plants until next March or April. Mm -hmm. And so they've done this really big investment in ground preparation and putting the plants in and things with the hope that everything will be okay next year. Got it. Yeah, so it's definitely a big gamble. So they really want to be able to be sure that each step along the way they take is going to contribute to their success the following season. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And Carol, I'm not sure, you know, we we're talking over the, uh, the speaker
2: and into the mic. So if I can't, you know, you're not, I'm not coming through. Just let me know. But my brain is always revolving around. I work in water right now. And I'm mm-hmm. curious because Sigma in California is going to be so, I, I don't know if influential is the right term, but it's really going to dictate how we continue to farm in this state. And I'm kind of curious, given where strawberries are grown predominantly, uh, have you seen any significant side effects of Sigma that are going to come about? Do we know kind of what that's going to look like for the strawberry industry moving forward?
4: Um, yeah, that's really a good question. And it's it's always interesting to, that the water issues are a bit different in terms of that the, the strawberry farms are pretty much only dependent on the groundwater. You know, mm-hmm. where because it's on the coast, we're not tied into the whole... Um, aqueduct system and the very expansive water system within the state of california so yeah. um, so groundwater has always been that you know they're really really um, watching that all the time and probably what has been more an issue on the coast has been um, the challenges of um, the potential for saltwater intrusion
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: and and that's been actually a challenge more to strawberry farmers than almost any other thing related to their
2: groundwater. Gotcha. That's, that's interesting. And I actually didn't register that, That there's probably not significant infrastructure for surface water
4: supplies in any of those places that strawberries are grown predominantly because there's no snowpack. That's exactly right. There's, there's just, we're not tied into that system. You know, it's, yeah. um, it's, it's mostly groundwater. There's a little bit of surface water, um, Dependency in Ventura County, but yeah, relatively speaking, it's for by and large for most strawberry farmers, it's about groundwater.
3: Mm. Wow, I, I'm sniffing another another tunnel project coming. It's going to be the, the, the Pacheco <laughs> Tunnel. No, <I'm> kidding. Yeah. <laughs> the Pacheco Bypass. The Pacheco Bypass. The Triple Bypass.
4: Yeah, I don't know. You know, we drive past the past the San Luis Reservoir, and, and I don't know that there's much water to get, get trucked anywhere else on the, to the west instead of to
2: the east. Yeah, seriously. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Wow. So, um, yeah, I sorry to jump in here, um, but no, just just thinking about all this all this um, new research and everything. Um, what are, what are some of the, where, where's some of the research going as far as alternative substrates? Because I know that that's been, uh, a topic in years past as well uh, for, right. for growing strawberries.
4: Right, right. So, so one of the, the, sub, the trials that we ran and actually, we actually got some, um, additional grant funding from, uh, Department of Pesticide Regulation to do further research on, um, substrate trials. It was kind of interesting in terms of, we tried to replicate the raised bed environment that you usually see when you're driving down the highway in the strawberry production areas. But what we did is with the raised beds, had carved out the center of the bed, lined it with landscaping cloth, filled it with the substrate, and then laid the drip lines, put the plastic mulch over so when you drove by, you really didn't see any difference. Hmm. And for machinery to go through the fields, it was still the same. For the harvest workers, it was still the same. Mm-hmm. But what we found, with and we were able to get the production system tweaked, so that it was having comparable yields to the more traditional, you know, just the regular soil system. Um, but the infrastructure it took to do that, it was there were a couple issues. One was that instead of irrigating a few times a week regularly, like you would the soil system we were finding that we needed to micro irrigate about six times a day oh, and that from that we were also having to micro pulse nutrients in that system because it really was more of a hyperponic system you know we were using different kinds of we were trying different kinds of um, substrates we were using coconut core we were using mm-hmm. we tried peat moss we tried a number of different things and um infrastructure that it took to set up to manage that irrigation and that those nutrient management um, just pushed the costs too high and that those they weren't able to match what the costs would be in a regular production field Mm. so so we got the yields there but we just could not get the costs down enough so it's something that we have on the shelf if we find that there are better returns in the future for the farmer but that that one didn't pan out We're seeing, though, a lot of um, people really starting to experiment, though, with raised beds, um, Hmm. vertical farming, um, you know, other kind of greenhouse farming. And we know we see in Europe and also in Japan, we're seeing where they're doing strawberry greenhouse production. And because it's a much more contained environment and much more structured environment, they're able to add more automation also. And robotics actually into that type of production. Huh. So, and that's that's our other big challenge besides siliborin disease is the fact that strawberries are a very labor intensive crop. Um, they're hand weeded, they're hand planted, they're hand harvested. Um, you know, somebody's walking those fields every day, whether it's to do you know looking for pest census or looking at. The blossom count to determine project the crop coming up in the next month um, you know simply harvesting they go through those fields harvesting three times a week because um, what some people don't think about and it's probably not so much farmers but more kind of folks who just go to the grocery store for their food is that strawberries the plants continuously are blooming and producing fruits over a number of months and a lot of times people think about fruit, like tree fruit, apples or peaches or something, where you get one bloom, one set of fruit, they all kind of come ripe about the same time, and you've got one harvest over a couple of weeks, and then you're done. And for strawberries, yeah. you're sending a harvest crew in two or three times a week to harvest over six months. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So so it's it's definitely a different kind of kind of farming in terms of thinking about how to manage that. So, you know, there's been a lot of work that's been done probably over the past six or eight years about are there ways to automate different aspects of the harvest? Are there ways to Um, create aids for harvest workers so that they can work more efficiently more efficiently when they're out in the field are there things like runner cutters so strawberries they produce runners and then you don't want the plant energy to go to the runners you want it to make fruit so you Mm. want to cut those runners off and that's all done by hand right now so they're looking at is there a way that we can run something mechanical through to yes. cut those runners, uh, is there a way we can mechanically plant plants? Because we don't plant seeds, we plant plants that's got a lot of roots and a little bit of crown. And you can't get it in crooked, and you can't bury the crown right. You know, it's got to be very specifically planted. Is there a way we can automate that? Um, and then the harvest is the biggest challenge of all. Um, it's. I, I encourage people to go out to a strawberry field sometime time if they can and do the picking because you're using a lot of vision and judgment to determine, okay, is this a berry I want to pick? Is it ready to pick? Because the plant will have little green berries, a little bit bigger white berries, not quite ripe berries and ripe berries all at the same time. So is there one that's ready? And then when you pick one, you can't squeeze it too tight. You know, but you have to hold it firmly enough so that you don't pull, you don't want to pull the whole plant out or anything, but you want to snap that off. And it's uh, really, it's a human touch.
2: If if you were to look at
4: kind of the, the
2: grander scheme of what it takes to get a strawberry crop in and then out of the
0: ground, where do you think the, the biggest difference could be made using
2: technology? I mean, And I guess that's a pretty vague way of asking it. But is the actual harvest the most intense part? Is it getting the crop to the point where you can harvest? Where would the biggest needle mover, I
4: guess, lie in your opinion? What do you think it would be? It would probably be the harvest itself. Um, I think we're definitely seeing a lot more technology going in in terms of managing irrigation. Um, Certainly we're seeing more use of either mechanical or drone use or things like that in terms of doing, you know, being able to quote-unquote walk the fields. You know, maybe that can be done mechanically, but that harvest that actually using that human vision, that human judgment, um, if there is a way to mechanize that and There are plenty who have tried and plenty who are working on it. And uh, there's been more success in that more controlled, structured environment like a greenhouse. And um, when you get out in the field, though, I think there's just a lot of variables. The light can be different, whether it's a foggy day or a sunny day. Um, Although some mechanical harvesters that they've been trying in fields work better at night because then they can control the light and be able to use the optics maybe a little bit more easily. Um, And then the other piece of it is actually packing those berries, because those berries are field-packed. It's not that they pick buckets of berries and then take them to a shed and somebody packs them into those plastic-lidded containers, as we Mm -hmm. call clamshells. Right, because they can be easily bruised. Right, exactly. So they're packed into those clamshells in the field. And I always tell people, I always challenge them, I say, when you bring one of those home from, from the grocery store, go ahead and dump it out on the counter and see if you can repack it so that you don't bruise any of the berries or don't smash them when you close the lid or anything like that. And um, it's it's truly an art. It's a skill and an art to be able to not only harvest those berries, but then get them packed also as well.
3: Yeah, I believe it.
4: Yeah, excuse me just a minute. No worries. Yeah. Okay, sorry. My heart of hearing parents are yelling at each other <laughs> in
3: the background. <laughs> all, good. all good. We're human. Love it. <sighs> yeah. Um, you know, funny enough that you know we're talking we're talking about uh, the human touch and um, you know automation and all that kind of stuff. Jeanette actually was telling us about this article that she had read. Jeanette, do you want to do you want to dive into that a little bit?
1: So, Caroline, um, I actually pulled this article from the Strawberry Commission, so from you guys, and I was reading that you guys have recently done some research on a new automation equipment system that's going to actually help you guys harvest the strawberries and remove the calyx from the strawberry. So, I saw some of the pros there, and it's definitely, you know, seeing that it's going to reduce the labor efficiency efficiency and the exposure to contamination. Do you want to talk more further about that and what you have to say about it because I
4: would love to learn more about that yeah no that actually we've had funded some research actually with two different researchers um, one from the University of Maryland and one from here at the University of California Davis so I know there's several different approaches that engineers are looking at about that calyx removal Um, that calyx removal happens for processing strawberries you know when you get when they go to the grocery store for fresh market they still have the calyx on them so this is specifically for processing and um, usually it's also for the berries that like when you buy them whole frozen in the grocery store or you go to a a, um, a smoothie place and they're dumping frozen fruit in and they're usually those whole frozen strawberries so um
0: Uh for years
4: there's been a you know when we go to we've harvest processed strawberries from the same field as fresh unlike tomatoes where you know they grow for either processing or for fresh um it just kind of depends on the season sometimes it depends on the price whether they go to processed or not but they have like a cutting tool that was on on their picking cart that they would just slice off the tops of the calyxes but there was a concern a food safety concern that you know those Berries then get put into containers, the, the freezer containers. They get trucked to the processor, and then they have to be inspected before they go in for processing. So you've got some exposure there. And um, also, you know, there's concern for the worker safety, too, in terms of having sharp objects out in the field. So we looked at, is there a way that we can send the berries whole to the processor and use what's called a water knife? Right? And it's a very high-pressure jet of water to be able to slice off those calyxes. And probably the biggest challenge about getting that to work is that not all strawberries are exactly the same shape and size. So again, you need that optics um, within the within the sorting to be able to do where is that calyx and orient that berry and to mechanically find a way to get them all kind of oriented in the same direction so you could do that slicing of the, the calyx. And it's it's getting very close to I think being a reality to bring to market. So um, I have not seen the latest versions yet, um, but they're definitely they were getting um, we're getting promising results, and the strawberry processors were getting pretty excited about the results they were seeing. So I think we're going to be seeing a step in that direction in terms of at least for the processing berries
1: yeah so as we as we're talking about more automation and looking towards the future as you were also mentioning that you're transitioning to indoor strawberry growing how do you see so i guess my question here is you would have more control indoors in the greenhouse what what drastic changes would that require i mean i'm, I'm assuming it would be a lot easier for you to control and Keep under uh, regulated like water system and also lighting control and better access to these strawberries. How I mean, just talking about demand here. Would you guys be able to still meet up to the demand that we're being able to complete now, or how would that change?
4: That's really a good question, and and I think that every company is kind of looking at how this fits into their business plan. So the, the commission isn't really funding any real research about indoor environments or more structured environment farming right now. We know that some farmers are trying the hoop houses, just the, the plastic hoops over, so it's still fairly open to the environment. And um, recently there's been an announcement about some more investment in vertical farming, indoor vertical farming, and um, they're gonna do that do that but the, the problem for strawberries is so it's a couple things one of them that's a challenge is that you have these overlapping seasons for pieces of ground as I mentioned earlier you're still harvesting in one section while you're trying to um, ground prep for the next season so how does that play out when you have just a particular piece of infrastructure that you're growing strawberries inside of can you then do it continuously Do you have to have a stop and start for a season like you do when you grow it outdoors? I think that I'm not. I don't know enough about it to be able to understand how they would plan their season, Um, or if there's just no season anymore. It's just all strawberries all the time. Um, The the other piece of it is that strawberries are grown mostly on on the coast, which also is the most expensive real estate in terms of growing strawberries you'll see you'll see in different places it's it's interesting to me that in ventura county they used to grow lima beans and sugar beets those used to be the two top commodities out of ventura county and now it's avocado citrus and strawberries so as the land value goes up you see the crops go to higher value crops also and when you get moved into greenhouse then you've got more investment and more capital and more infrastructure. So, again, I think different companies are penciling this out. Um, The most recent vertical farm I just heard about, that there's an investment being made the vertical farms in Laramie, Wyoming. So Laramie, Wyoming land prices, I'll bet, are a lot cheaper than those in um, Monterey County, California. Oh, yeah so I, I didn't check i didn't look on zillow but i i suspect
0: it's
3: a little bit cheaper <laughs> <laughs> wow i mean that's it, it's it's interesting i i can't and I, I this is terrible of me i did not do my homework um but, but i i have heard it quoted that um in the future the the coastal agriculture that we've grown we you know Our generations have known um, will be completely reshaped uh, for the next generation, and that it's it's instead of seeing fields and the rolling hills as you're driving through Salinas, it's all going to be greenhouses. Each one of those plots is going to be replaced by a greenhouse.
4: It's really interesting, and and honestly, I hope that it's still farming. I mean, my introduction to. strawberry farming 15 years ago when I started working at the commission it's like I took a trip down to Orange County because I thought I need to see you know what what are the differences of strawberry farming in Monterey County versus San Luis Obispo County versus Orange County so I took a a ride with one of the longtime farming families one of the members of that family in Orange County and i would say half of the driving around from ranch to ranch was him pointing at housing developments or shopping centers and saying, "well, we used to grow there. Oh, hmm. we used to grow there." and had been oh. developed. So, i mean, if we do wind up going to greenhouses, at least hopefully we're still in agriculture.
3: Hm. That's a good point. I didn't even think of it as basically a placeholder. <laughs> <laughs> I was Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I yeah. mean, my first thought was uh, just a difference in, in labor force, a different type of labor force. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we had talked about that on the last episode, is 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 the labor force going to change, or how is the labor force going to change, probably more appropriately.
4: Right, well, and I'm sure it's going to change, um, and that's part of what we're, another one of the programs or major emphasis that the commission has, is on education. And we kind of We used to do kind of like workshops once a year, and it was to help the growers get their crew supervisors to meet the harassment prevention training that's mandated by the state. And we kind of grew up from there. We developed a food safety program that was very specific to strawberries. And, um, you know, we had done a whole risk analysis top to bottom, and we developed a training program based on, on our risk analysis. And it started out as something you could do on the back of a pickup truck with a, with a flip chart. And it was illustrations with very basic English and Spanish information on it. And over time, that's you know, morphed into more online, more video-oriented, more audio-oriented type training. But we've also morphed our training program into teaching supervisor skills So like communications and how to give feedback. So we kind of went beyond the mandatory state-regulated harassment prevention, heat illness prevention, pesticide safety, and kind of went on to help teach some of the soft skills to supervisors on top of teaching them about food safety and how not only what to do in the fields, but also how to create a culture of food safety with your crews. And now we're kind of looking ahead Again, 10, 15 years out, uh, we need to be able to make sure that our um, supervisor, our crews or whoever's in charge are able to manage the technology we're starting to introduce in the field. Are they able to Definitely. use the reports and things? We have a, Right now we have a um, sprayer calibration app to help them calculate and, cal- and calibrate their sprayers for doing um, crop protection sprayings. And there's going to be more of that. We're developing that kind of thing. So we want to teach people, if they don't have them, basic literacy skills, basic math skills, um, other things that they're going to need as the technology increases in the field.
1: That's really great, honestly. It's just, to me, I, I think it's awesome that you guys take that, extra time and dedication to not only provide them resources but to teach them how to yeast it because a lot of times we see that we tend to struggle especially when it comes to new technology that we're not aware of and especially with food safety food safety is one of the main things that we try to focus on and try to develop within the teams so as they further along process that and understand that this is important it not only becomes like something that they learn but then again it's like something that they value and that they know that the the fruits and the vegetables that they're harvesting, it's not only going to, you know, it's not, a just, it's not just a job, if
4: that makes sense. Right. No, that's exactly right. And that's why we had started, you know, and honestly we had had a food safety program of some kind or another um, since about 1998. And um, in 2006, those that were in the Salinas Valley and beyond probably remember the, the big E. coli outbreak in spinach. And what we know is that we do a lot of ground rotation between strawberries and leafy greens. And if we wanted to really say, okay, we don't seem to be having the same issues as leafy greens, why not? or what would be the circumstances that would lead us to have an outbreak. So that's why we did this whole top to bottom risk assessment and really looked at our production practices and and what are some ways that we can say here's a best practice that helps to avoid microbial contamination, you know, and here's how to train the workers because again it's a hand harvested crop. We found that was our biggest risk was you know, a workforce of 50,000, and we were relying on them all to wash their hands properly every time they needed to be washed in order to avoid microbial contamination.
1: Correct. And if we think about it, our workers are also advocating that to the consumers as well because they're the ones in the field, so they know what the process is like. So if they ever did come around that conversation and they say, well, this is probably dirty, like, I don't want to eat this. And just like, well, if you realize, like, I actually worked in the field, so I know the, the process and the the cleaning and whatever it takes to get to where it's in the store now.
4: Right, right, right. And that's that's always what's really interesting. And, and it's always a challenge sometimes to help people understand that. And I, I always love being able to bring people out to the field because there are so many aha moments that go on all at once in people's brains when they're actually in the field they actually see the processes going on and ask two or three questions about well why is this like this or something and then suddenly they they really see how much is being done in the fields that they had no idea
1: I'll share something with you and I'll say that strawberries is like my favorite fruit but when I actually went out to the field and did some picking myself, I appreciated the workers in the fruit a lot more. <laughs> Just because oh. I, <laughs> I was there, I did experience, I had the experience to actually harvest my own strawberries and take home. And to me, it was the like best thing in the world. But I was like, this fruit tastes good for a reason. <laughs> so let's appreciate right. the work that goes behind it.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I I had a very similar experience when I first started working at the commission. I went out to somebody's field because I was going out to different fields and visiting and talking with them because my experience also is every strawberry farmer somewhere in some corner of their field is doing some kind of experiment. They might be trying some new variety, or they might be trying some new cultivation method, or they might be trying some new product or something, and so it's always fun to find out what they're experimenting and why they're doing that, they won't tell you know the general public, or they won't talk about it in a meeting, but you know, if I ask questions and express interest, they will tell me about what they're working on, so that's always fun, and Somebody will always say, well, you want to take some strawberries home? And I said, sure. I said, you know, if you just give me a box, I'll go ahead and pick my own. And they all laugh. And I thought, well, <laughs> what's so funny? Until I started picking my first box. It was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to feed my family this way. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, so, yes, I, I know. It, it's, it's It's a... It's hard work. It's skilled work, and it absolutely makes so many people happy. You know, many people tell us it's strawberries are their favorite fruit. They talk about some great memory they have that's associated has strawberries associated with that memory, often a family event or something. And so, it's always fun to hear people's stories.
3: Yeah, are you guys capitalizing on that at all? Because I know, um, you know, that's been the big push for the raisin industry right now because almonds basically took over the market for superfood let's just be honest
4: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well don't don't ever underestimate the power of strawberries but um the yeah we we do fund nutrition research we've been funding nutrition research for about mm, 13 15 years no no, actually longer because maybe about 17 or 18 years now and um, we're hoping that someday we may be able to have a health claim for strawberries. Um, what we do know is the research is showing uh, the anti-inflammatory properties, um, hmm. of the nutrition in strawberries are good for cardiovascular health and for brain health. And no, you're kidding. yeah. So, and they may also, um, have some properties related to helping to reduce the inflammation related to arthritis. Um, and um, so we're, you know, continuing to look at what the different ways are how strawberries benefit people. Um, we know blueberries got out the gate first with all of the brain health research and things. But, um, you know, all those all those berries, all those really brilliant blues and purples and reds, all of those are different um, types of antioxidants that really do have a lot of um, health-supporting activities.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, um, I, I don't know if you can share it. Uh, you know giving away any trade secrets but (laughs) um is is that is is that the biggest push for uh marketing in the organization right now or or what where where is most of the effort being pushed as far as marketing goes
4: well definitely there is a, a significant amount looking at nutrition and we do a lot of effort around um communicating with registered dietitians um What we know is they are a health professional who talk directly with consumers very specifically about um, healthy eating. And um, in fact, this coming weekend, we're going to have our first ever virtual um, trade show as part of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. usually it's a great big conference and a a trade show in a big city every year and this year Hmm. for... Coronavirus reasons, we are doing this virtually this year, and it starts on Saturday. Actually, so it's going to be um, right. interesting. Yeah, so it'll be interesting for all of us to instead of being on the floor with strawberries to sample and farmers in our booth to answer questions, we're going to be doing that all virtually without the strawberry samples this year. So, um, so that that definitely is is one aspect of um, health. You know healthcare professionals who are directly dealing with nutrition wow. um, but the other thing we do is we do like to talk about the um the, the people behind the strawberries and because people do have an interest in who's growing their food and um, we have a fair number of videos and they're most of them are short there's a minute two minute three minutes at most and it's interviews with farmers And it's interviews, some of them are interviews with farm workers Mm -hmm. or ranch managers or crew supervisors who can talk about strawberry farming from their own unique perspectives. Um, What we know about strawberries is that they are a crop of opportunity and that um, kind of the, the profile of a California strawberry farmer is kind of the profile of immigration. Um, within the state of California so Mm -hmm. right now about two-thirds of the strawberry farmers in California are of Mexican descent Mm -hmm. whether they came through the Braceros program or more recently uh, uh, this is why we do all of our communications in English and Spanish Um, Mm -hmm. all of our weekly newsletters all of our updates everything our training everything goes in both Spanish and English um, if we were talking a hundred years ago, I would tell you that the majority of our strawberry farmers were Japanese. Hmm. So it's, um, it definitely is traces through. And part of it is that you can grow a lot of fruit on a very small amount of land with strawberries. And you can plant those plants and get berries that same year. It's not like a tree, Mm -hmm. you know, that you have to plant and kind of wait three to five years for it to start producing fruit or nuts or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, You can Mm -hmm. start right away and get a lot of fruit.
3: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so I'm,
4: so there's lots of um, so it's strawberries dot com. We have two websites. That's the one that's more kind of consumer focused,
0: mm-hmm.
4: um, and that has a lot of those little stories about farmers and farm workers. Um, and then everyone always asks about recipes, and yes, we have <laughs> lots of recipes also.
3: Oh, great! Yeah, that's amazing. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's actually um, a, a great segue, and um, so it, so the, is that website the, the best place to find the most information, or you know what, what other resources would you like to tell the audience about?
4: Yeah, so that's definitely the one if you really want more of the consumer-facing you know kind of basic answers to your, your burning questions about basics, about strawberries, about interviews with farmers a little bit about our nutrition research, but we have another site, calstrawberry.com, mm-hmm. um, and that one's definitely more um, farmer-focused. So this one has more of the profiles of the research that we have um, done, our training program, all our different training materials, um, our nutrition research, You know, all the publications where it's been peer-reviewed and published are there. Um, and then we also have some um, resources for schools and um, as well as for retail are all on calstrawberry.com. So that one's a little bit more of the work, workhorse site for people who are looking for more technical information. All the market data that we collect are is on calstrawberry.com. Mm-hmm. And I would say between the two locations on californiastrawberries.com, we get the most hits on, this, on the recipes. And even though we have great videos, people still go for the recipes. And then on calstrawberry.com, most visitors are coming to look for um, the market data. Not so much the research, but they're looking for the
3: market data. Oh, interesting. Huh.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So, so for, the, for consumers, and of course, then we're kind of more social. So we have um, the handle of CA Strawberries, and that's going to be on Facebook, um, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. And then um, we've kind of moved our more professional and our business-related ones over more to um, LinkedIn. And so we do have a site on LinkedIn, and then we have a fairly robust YouTube channel as well with all of our videos, whether it's our training videos or if it's our um, our consumer related videos about farmer interviews.
3: Oh, that's great. I think that's uh, that's amazing that you're utilizing all the different channels to, to get the word out there. I, you know,
4: but, yeah, different channels, you know, really cater to different audiences. And we just found, and we were actually a little bit surprised that LinkedIn picked up as well as it did. Um, we thought, we'll just, we, yeah, we just thought we'd try <laughs> it out and um, we were getting really great pickup. And then, you know, of course with the, um, With the arrival of coronavirus on this continent, um, we really shifted a lot of gears uh, Mm. when, when all the shutdowns started happening in March. So we were just at the end of our training season, and we completely shifted our training program with the best information we had at that time in terms of talking about sanitation in the field, talking about no-touch handshakes and greetings and things like that mm. to use in the fields, mm-hmm. and then really starting to work with people on implementing social distancing and things, because we were in peak season in Southern California. yeah. So, yeah, you know, we couldn't wait for the public health agencies to kind of get all caught up, so we actually created oh, posters and handouts and videos and audio announcements that can be played in the field and we sponsored um, spots on um, NPSAs on Spanish language radio and television from April until I think we just kind of started to taper off as our season is kind of wrapping up now Mm -hmm. Um, but for many months we were running that just to make sure that um, workers were informed and that they knew how to stay safe both at work as well as here's some practices you can use at home too and then also just making sure that the information was out there. So um, we have stickers, we have posters, we have paycheck stuffers, we have you know flyers, we have all these audio and video announcements and things, but we would just, and then we would update them as, like, the advisory would change to say, yes, face coverings are a good idea. You know, and then we just revised all our materials and sent out new things again. So it's... Um, it's definitely been a season
3: like no other. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we can say that over and over again, <laughs> and
4: over, yeah, pretty daily.
3: <laughs> oh yes, uh huh, yes, 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 for for more reason than one. Yes. Wow. Well, you know, again, we we're we're so thankful to have had you uh, join us tonight. We are we're getting uh, towards the end of our time here, and uh, we we would like to invite you to. Uh, come back at another time and join us again. We, we, we're really big about follow-ups here on the podcast. And so uh, if, if you're willing, we'd we'd love to have you come back and, and give another update to the audience about what's going on in the strawberry industry and, and have another chat with us.
4: Well, my pleasure. This has been fun, and I would love to come back anytime. Just let me know when you're ready for a follow-up.
3: Of course, of course. Well, thank you so much. Uh, any, any last thoughts here?
4: Um, I would encourage people to eat strawberries. They are a year-round crop here in California. Um, they are maybe a little bit harder to find in the wintertime because the production isn't quite as, as um, high in the wintertime as it is in the summertime, but it's a, probably a nice, healthy, and tasty snack to have, so enjoy them. We've got the <laughs> bounty right here in our backyard.
3: Exactly.
4: Definitely.
3: Yeah. Well, again, you know, thank you so much for your time. And uh, you, you told us at the beginning. And so we, we have to make sure that we, <laughs> we address this. But uh, t- tomorrow is your birthday. Obviously, we won't be <laughs> releasing this podcast tomorrow. But, um, you know, for, from us in the past, uh, we'll, we'll be wishing you happy birthday tomorrow.
4: Well, thank you so much. <laughs> well,
3: great. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it yet again.
0: Thank
2: you Thanks again to Carolyn. we truly truly and I know I've said it like three times already appreciate the heck out of you staying with uh, up with us delivering a you know delivering a great interview uh, appreciate the heck out of it can't wait to have her back once we have some serious equipment and we're kind of all squared away with what we're gonna do but uh, Connor I mean, I just feel like the, the tech thing in strawberries is interesting, and it blows my mind that they're so intensive, but I feel like strawberries are the one thing that you find everywhere. I mean, you put them in salads, you eat them raw, you put them on ice cream, you have them for a fruit bowl, I and they take that much labor.
3: It's mind-blowing. I know. The, it almost makes me wonder if it's one of those things where <clears> – <throat> In the back of the industry, this side of the industry's mind, people are thinking, we're, get, we're making good money right now. Um, yes, obviously we would love to try to move towards some of this stuff, but we just can't slow down because the demand is so high. I mean, I know yep. we go through strawberries like crazy with a two-and-a-half-year-old running around in our house. Mm-hmm. And plus, we also just love strawberries being this close to the source because they're so fresh and they're, they're so tasty. Um, Delicious. But yeah, I mean... I don't know if it's just because it's just this this calm before the storm kind of a deal thinking about this this next step in in progression in the industry or if you know I really don't know I don't know what why why there's been a lag in that or if it's just because just because of the nature of strawberries strawberries have a very short uh cycle in a very short season yep. in comparison to something like almonds. If you're from up north, or almonds. If you're from this side of the valley, um, down south. <laughs> the L, the L hasn't been shaken out of them yet, and exactly. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if it's if it's just because it's so fast paced that there isn't that chance to really get that good database behind it to really start mm-hmm. to then gain some traction and some acceptance in the in the market. And, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I completely agree with you. It, the, the strawberries literally come out of the field or in, you know, in, in a grocery store within hours, not, not days of their picking because they don't have a long shelf life. So it's, it's interesting how technology will change that and shape that. But I, I do, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you, you don't have an opportunity for trial and error in their business segment. It has to work and it has to go. Otherwise, you're losing crop, and if you lose crop, you lose dollars. So, mm-hmm.
3: I've tried it's it. It's
2: All intriguing.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I've tried. What? I've tried to make the pitch over in the Salinas and Soledad area, and you're right. It, mm-hmm. That's what it was. It was. You need to tell me right now why this is gonna increase or make things better in a very real, yep. practical sense, or, you know, it's probably not gonna work between us. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, and. I, I think next time, you know, and I say next time because I really do want to have Caroline background because I want to pick her brain more, but I'm very interested based on what she said about water access because mm-hmm. the, the areas that we grow strawberries on don't have a good surface water supply and are almost entirely dependent on groundwater. And that right there is a very, very interesting problem and I wonder how that's going to shape the future of the crop in California, and how that's going to change the way that we farm on the coast. So, I'm looking forward to picking her brain more about that. I can tell you that, and I'm also the water nerd, but I think we tout that more often
3: than not. So, yeah, yeah, no, I, that, is well, I is what I is. While we were while we were uh, while we were having the interview, um, I was just scribbling down other questions that we didn't even get to answer. So I'll I'll have those ready yep. for next time when when we have carolyn on because we, there will be a next time um you know hopefully sooner rather as long than later. as she doesn't hate this that's right i know yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so ho- hopefully hopefully we did you did you justice carolyn and uh you know hopefully you enjoy this podcast and, and we also hope that this uh brings about um is a platform for the strawberry commission and is a great way to promote just california strawberries in general that's Obviously, yeah. one of our goals by doing this whole thing too.
2: Yeah. Plus, they're just the, they're the best strawberries. Uh, of course, yeah. Not do it. Oh yeah. It, there's a reason every time I drive to Gilroy or drive to Pismo, I stop and I get like a crate because they're just the best.
3: Mm-hmm. They are. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> they're they're terrific. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
3: No. It. Oh. It, it's interesting because you know I, I wish we had more time to to go into. Um, believe it or not, I was actually really interested in learning more about the marketing process for strawberries. That to me just, it seems really interesting uh, when you start thinking, because we've seen what success the almond industry has had with that. And so I'd really Mm -hmm. like to learn, you know, a little bit more about that. And obviously because I've also got a background in research and science, I'd also really like to start honing in on some of these specific areas um, of research as well. Exactly. Got to let that biology degree shine through. That's right. Best I can. I mean, can't let it go to waste.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, we hope that uh, we hope the boys night was enjoyable. We hope you had a little fun. Um, We definitely did. It's been a great, you know, experience, little bromantical bromance thing kind of going down. Um, If that freaks you out, sorry. Just the way it is. But. Connor, and the way that we always end these things,
3: well, even on. though it's just hold boys' night. Hold on. What? Just Am do I a missing quick, something? Yeah, just a quick tagline. Uh, we actually do have some information, so if, if you want to find out more information on the California Strawberry Commission or you want to find yes. more information um, from Carolyn and some of the resources that she mentioned, we will actually have that pasted in the show notes or description, however the heck we do this. so we will have those resources available to you if you are interested So, um, and as always you can always reach out to us on socials for any additional information too but sorry
2: no you're good I was forgetting that so there you go now I'm just going to talk for a second so it breaks up the awkwardness but Connor you know how to end the show so go go, go ahead
3: that's right folks thank you for tuning in and listening to the best gluten-free podcast ever Have a great day.